You're hearing the Echoes podcast, and I'm John DiLibretto. Today I've got a special bonus podcast with Steve Roach. He is nominated for a Grammy Award this year for his album Spiral Revelation. So I thought it would be uh, fun to talk to him about this recognition and electronic music in general. Just want to remind you, though, as we enter the Christmas season, now's a great time to think about supporting Echoes. You can do it with a donation at echoes.org, or you can become a member of the Echoes CD of the Month Club. We pick out our favorite album every month and send it to club members. Steve Roach has had a few of those picks in the past. In this time of giving, it's a great gift for yourself or the music lover in your life. Go to echoes.org, find out more about the Echoes CD of the Month Club, or just make a straight tax-deductible donation to Echoes. It's at echoes.org. Steve Roach has been with Echoes from the very beginning. He even wrote our theme music back when we used that. He's released, it seems, hundreds of albums since his debut in the early 1980s. Some of his signature works include Structures from Silence, Dreamtime Return, and The Magnificent Void. This year, out of nowhere, he was nominated for a Grammy Award in the New Age category, sitting right alongside Brian Eno, Kitaro, and Peter Cater. I'm talking to Steve on the phone. He's in his Time Room studio in Baja, Arizona, and I'm in the Echoes Black Box in Pennsylvania. Steve, how you doing? Doing great, John. Always love to talk to you, and uh, under these circumstances, it's very cool. What is a record like this doing getting nominated for a Grammy Award? That's the uh, the big question that um, I can't directly answer other than the way that it was submitted was very kind of discreetly, quietly, just um, by Howard Givens, who does the mastering for a lot of my work. And he also is uh, the figurehead of Spotted Peccary Records, um, not associated with Project, of course. But uh, he submitted it, and I really had no idea that, and Sam, the owner of Project, did um, either that it was even submitted until two, three weeks ago when I received an email in the morning saying that I was nominated. And I thought the email was sent by mistake to me, uh, to someone else. You know, that's how I responded to it. <laughs> so it was really, it really was like right out of the sky, out of the blue, um, in, in terms of, you know, not having a campaign behind it or, or that sort of thing. But um, ultimately, in, since, since that's occurred and just seeing, learning a little bit how the Grammys you know, that works with the Recording Academy and all is that they're, you know, the body of voters and all put it in there. So I guess the the out of the blue part is the, you know, the work that that I've just, I've been doing and for many years and just, you know, get, getting up and, and going to work every day, doing what I live and love to do, which is to make the music that I do. And um, so that's that's pretty much the short story on it, uh, and how it yeah how it how it got in. I mean, you you might know more about that than I in terms of how things get voted in or how people recognize things. Well, actually, in that world. actually, I just learned a little bit about it uh, during this period because because uh, I had been on Grammy screening committees, right. So the screening committees just decide if something is appropriate for the category. I was in the Native American category when they had that. I was in that screening committee. And you would just decide, well, is this a Native American record or not? And then, you know, and I'm sure in the New Age category, they decide if it's a New Age record or not. And, I, and, and that goes into that big list that goes out, uh, I guess, in September or October to, uh, to Academy members. 
and they vote on that. And I always thought that that vote that they did on that big list that has, you know, hundreds of names and titles and stuff, uh, that that the votes on that list became the five records that got nominated uh, for, for the Grammy Award. But it turns out there's, a, there's an intervening committee in between called the Nomination Committee. And they go through the top 15 vote-getters on that giant list. They go through the top 15 choices, and then they pick the five from that that get in, which I never I never knew that, uh, even though I've been a member of the Academy for quite some time. Um, right. Well, it, the category itself, of course, a lot of the feedback I got along with congratulations was, isn't there a category that's more up-to-date or current or different, appropriate for, like, Spiral Revelation or – you know, you know, for that matter, but, but you know, we've, we've just had that new age category sort of as a yoke around our neck since the beginning. And I, at this point, it's just means about, you know, it's, it's, it's still, you know, a great recognition and, and it's kind of a large, you know, the, just the, the size of that organization and just probably what it takes politically to change, you know, uh, into contemporary ambient or some other term, it's really a moot point, you know, I guess at this point. I mean, but I guess a few years ago, also what Jethro Tull got the the Grammy for a best heavy metal album. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe it's kind of well, like was, works yeah. in that realm, you know, that where was the quite categories. A few years ago, but that, yeah, that was the first uh, year that they had the heavy metal category too. So, oh, okay, so that's just what like it was. In, I think so, in the yeah. first year of the New Age I, category, who won it? Like Yusef Latif or somebody, I think. It was weird. It was like... I think it was um, uh, actually Andreas Vollenweider. Mm. Uh, but it's interesting to see, you know, the... I mean, Pat Metheny, I guess, won yeah. one year well, as well. Well, you probably so. should have been in the electronic category. I mean, there, there is an electronic category. I think it's electronic and dance. But nevertheless, it's electronic, and there's yes. a lot of, like, real electronic albums in there. So, but... You are where okay. you are. Uh, you're nominated with some really good people, yes. and then, you know, sitting there next to Brian Eno, you, you can't really, you know, complain about that too much, right? Well, I'm not complaining about anything, and just quite honored, <laughs> honored by it. And um, you know, I just, like I say, I just get up and do what I do every day, and it's cool to see that people are paying attention, you know, beyond what I thought uh, they were out there in that in that particular world. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what you do every day because you've released, I think, seven or eight albums just in the last two years. Yeah, well, that tells you what I'm doing every day, and it's <laughs> you know, it's getting up and and having uh, you know the morning breakfast and a cup of coffee and look out into you know I can see Mexico from the window of my time house and beautiful big sky and just uh, you know it's flowing and. It's flowing in a way that I, I really I feel so, uh, you know, grateful for the opportunity every day to get up and do what I love to do. And so there's that sense of, of joy that I get from cre- just creating. There's And to, to put a, a lid on it or to edit it or to say, well, I'm doing too much, I, you know, that's always been somebody else's opinion, record companies along the way or whatnot, but and I always use the metaphor as a photographer or a painter or an artist, visual artist. If you only had like one painting every year and a half, you'd go, well, what else are you doing in your time? Are you just hanging out in coffee shops talking about what you're going to do or that, you know? So it, to me, it's flowing, the art's flowing through at the, at the level at which, um, you know, the inspiration is. And so 
it's and it's not a matter of just banging stuff out. I mean, I'm really engaged in in different in the different forms that I work in, whether it's the the sequential sequencer roots type material that I'm coming back to really with great passion because of the new newer tools I've been able to get my hands on, you know, the big modular stuff and and then of course just the the balance of that into the diaphanous breathing non-rhythmic, which has always been a theme in my work since, you know, you and I met each other in the early 80s where I had, you know, Traveler and Now and that sort of thing. And then Structures comes out in the middle of all that sort of sound. So it's just the momentum of, a, you know, a lifetime of just being focused and, and energized and fed by the work that I'm creating. I mean, I get a lot of energy back from the work that I'm creating to the point to where it's hard to even make myself go to sleep right now. I'm working day and night, just and working, meaning uh, working in the studio, working at just really, you know, connecting at a whole other level with the sound that seems to be increasing as I get older. Well, you know, pop and rock artists, I mean, they do albums every two to five years. What are they doing different that you're not doing? Are they not working? Well, they're out touring, and they're also, if they have a lot of, um, people behind them in terms of a big record company, they don't want that company wants to get the maximum investment out of that that one album, and so they'll keep pushing and working that album and not you know drop another one in six months later that interferes with the sales of that one they just put out. So in my case, because I have my own label and I also work with Project, I can pace and place these releases out in a way that is more of like a complex kind of mosaic of all the different worlds that I'm interested in. And, and then Bandcamp comes into the picture, which is just absolutely a tremendous outlet and, you know, contemporary. I mean, the current function that it provides for independent artists is, is beautiful, you know, in terms of creating something and, and then instantly, you know, reaching your, audience with it from one day to the next and you know that so that's been a really great asset too and it also doesn't completely doesn't um get so much in the way of the releases that are more in a traditional outlet through project through in what's left of brick and mortar stores or through the you know other profiles of the digital distribution so when you have Bandcamp, you just it's like having your own version of tower records or or a Virgin Megastore that that is becoming more and more, um, you know, established as the place to go to for cutting edge, you know, interesting new music. And then just the paradigm they have that you can use to your advantage in terms of how you do your price structuring or if you offer it as a gift or a name your price thing and all that just creates a, a lot of gr goodwill for everybody involved. Right. And, um, well, well yeah. listen, you this is a little bit of a cliche question, but how do you think people are using these longer drone zone pieces that you do, which is kind of about 60 or 70 percent of what, you, what your output is? Because you're creating these seamless 73-minute albums, you know, uh, and that's a long time for someone to listen to one piece of music. So, I mean, how do you, what, what do you think is happening with that? Well, I think there's really, I know there is, there's just from the feedback and the the core audience that loves that and they would they would basically if they you know i mean this idea of a subscription is not lost on me in terms of what the future holds for getting a piece a month or something you know but uh they they're using it as it's functional music i mean it's it's 
you know, you doesn't we're, we're, this world that we're living in right now. I mean, it's really a, you know, a place of um, a, like a sanctuary of sound to to immerse in and to really create, a, you know, a, a, almost um, a place of safety, you know, through sound and a place where you build uh, your own kind of um, support system with that music. I know a lot of people that use it at work really at a low volume or they sleep with it or they have it on in the background running all day. So 70 minutes is just, it's really just, uh, the you know, one time through. I mean, a lot of folks are using it and also with my immersion stations that are on the, the iPhone, I've got, I have four of those now where you can create your own mixes of these immersion style pieces that are never uh, repeating. They're always looping and infinitely changing. And that's, that's a really cool thing. But so it's very functional and it, and depending on what volume level you listen to it at, it can be, you know, active and really um, engaging. And it's, I mean, I work on those pieces at a fairly you know, at a louder volume, as well as at a more um, subliminal, you know, quieter level to hear how the mixes come together at lower volume. And there's a lot to consider when creating those pieces to where it it, it can play for 70 minutes or all day and all night, or you can sleep to it and there's aspects of it that aren't going to um, jar you out of uh, this space that it creates. Well, some someone might describe what you're saying as musical wallpaper. Right. Uh, that would be great if that's a wallpaper that is nourishing and feeds your soul at a level to where you want to come back to it day in and day out. Um, you know, that's a, you know, it could be a derogatory term, but also if it's something that's really finely tuned and built to, you know, create an atmosphere of support and, um, nurture a space or to or to create a certain psychological zone that might be more suspended and more filled with the great mystery or something just you know there's so many shades and subtle shifts of awareness and our consciousness is shifting through that all the time and so for me it's really almost like being a you know a, a sonic surgeon able to tune in on certain um awareness states and then expand those awareness states to you know from like just maybe 30 seconds or a minute into something that's com you know completely um slowed down and and you move in like with with the uh the microscope into those places and those places have so much you know inside of there that that does it never feels repetitive or to me and um and, and that's when i if a piece hits the mark for me, then that's when I, I will release it. If it's, you know, and I'm listening to it day and night. I mean, as soon as I get up, I'm, if I'm making breakfast, I have pieces playing that are in progress and I hear them from a distance. I hear what aspects of them speak out. So, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, an immense amount of, of awareness of different things happening simultaneously. So, well, let me ask you, know, you isn't, 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 there a deeper listening experience in this music for you? Well, that's, yeah, that's what I'm speaking about is that all of mm -hmm. that is that the, the deeper listening is what, where the music emerges from. And if you're, you know, it's certainly, you know, that goes beyond hours and days and weeks. I mean, there's just a complete where it's like part of your complete being it's in your nervous system to tune in at that level. So those, the, that deeper listening and that, 
deeper sculpting and carving into form comes from you know the that the the years of of just being immersed in it and what you learn you know on 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 a on a level that you're not going to learn from anywhere else but by doing it for and and you know experimenting and um having the the art form itself reveal back to you what you know what what's unfolding and what needs to happen or something that's just almost uh, almost reachable and untouchable and then you you know certain days I'll just get my hands on it all of a sudden and it's like oh my god that's there it is I'm feeling that now I'm, I'm able to externalize the that that sort of subtle awareness from the deep listening that hasn't been real hasn't been expressed yet so that's what's driving me so much in the work is the this you know I guess I named my my whole um publishing company in the early 80s was SoundQuest Music, and that's really what it's about. <laughs> well, one aspect of your music is it's it's very much related to where you live, and over the course of a few decades, you've been moving further and further away from civilization. <laughs> uh, and I haven't been to where you currently live, but I suspect it's kind of really out in the outskirts there isn't it well it is and, and i'm still in a you know in a area where there's houses around and within you know 12 to 15 minutes i'm at the post office and it's really the perfect combination of being um you know in solitude and it's you know high up on a ridge kind of you know looking looking out like i say on right you know 18 miles basically 20 miles from the border but it it's uh, it just it's, it's a perfect location for convenience and you know close to all the stuff that you need to not drive and spend half your day just having to go to the store, or go to the doctor, or go to whatever, but still have um, that support of the expansive sky and land there all the time, completely holding the space for me. So, and I know when we lived in Tucson and when you visited our house there, that seemed like it was, you know, it was at the edge of town at that time. And town is, has grown around and grown right up to and beyond where, where that house is now. And you would be amazed at how dense that area is now and how loud it is and how much noise there is from ambient noise of just traffic and all that. And I'm still, you know, here it's, there's points where it's absolutely so still. I mean, it is, you know, the dynamic stillness that one of the, my album titles comes from, living you know in that in the center of what i crave to be in it just it's such a support and um facilitates the you know the space i need to be in and and the distractions are not there i mean if i lived closer to tucson there's a lot of things that would be you know pulling me back in there and hence the distraction and the time and uh you know time and time itself whether you know now at at 62 years old or at 52 or 32 i mean for me time has always always had immense value to it and it's like what are you going to do with the time you have what what's that's the most valuable thing that we have so i'm you know it's fairly i wouldn't say obsessed about it but it's just at this point it's just part of you know what directs my life every day is like making the best use of time and and so I'm, you know, as a t manager of time and what I do inside of time and the things that I create, I mean, I have in the time house, it's, it's no longer the time room. The house itself is, there's three studios in the house, so they're all running at the same time. And I'm, you know, I can have, well, it's just, it's three like uh, workstations. So if you have 
like the main studio, which has, you know, the, the instruments I used on Impetus still here and Dreamtime Return, and they're, they're, they're absolutely healthy and just doing what they love to do along with me, which is create sound, you know, the Oberheim gear and all that. So, but let's say the main studio will have, you know, when you get, when you, when I start picking up these pieces and you just, they need to be alive and shaped and, and lived within for over a period of days or sometimes weeks. So I'll, I'll get, I'll have pieces, um, you know, running live through all the sources that are creating them sequencers, loops, computer stuff, whatever, real, in the real-time interaction. But I'll have that room going, and then I'll have what I call the analog room going, and so that's the big modular wall. So that's I'll go in there and maybe work on that sort of thing in the afternoon. Uh, and again, those there's patches. that Right now there's a patch in there for this release that's in, um, in a flow that's, that's congruent with Spiral Revelation, that I've been working on since August and that one of the patches or well, the main patch in there has been up for two months and I just keep slightly changing it and evolving it, doing new passages with it, retuning some of the sequences. But the, the overall patch is something that you create, uh, you know, as a, it's like an instrument that you create that lives for a few months. And then after you're done, then you dismantle that instrument and then build a new one with the way that, you know, I configure the patches and, they, they become more and more complex and keep growing in terms of the sequencer style music, but to, it's not something you just would go in and do and then shut it down at the end of the day and then on to something else. They have to really um, marinate, you know, in all the ingredients there over weeks and months. And even last night, like, you know, 1230 at night, a whole other kind of version of another portion of this new album came through and that's what I'll be recording this afternoon, and it lives for a it lives for a certain time. There's a real shelf life to it, and then just through the way you keep working at it, you can it'll start to like decompose in a sense, or erode, or or just the the attrition of of working it and to a certain point, and it, then it'll start to like come apart, and then you rebuild it, and it'll take a new into a new form and a new shape again, but. So there's, and then um, then there's the live room, and then the, so there's three different rooms, like basically. And then the live room is where I'm in there, just with this collection of gear that I use in the live setting, and then I'll just play in there, um, you know, as if I'm in the moment. It's uh, based around the, the selection of instruments that I travel with or take out live. If depending if I'm driving on the ground, I can take. Hard, more hardware gear, or if I'm flying, I have to modify it. So that room then has that kind of focus. But, you know, a lot of pieces for albums will actually come from, you know, all, all three rooms, you know, running together. And it's really very similar to how I worked when I first met you, when we first met each other in Culver City in 83 or so around Traveler. And I would just work on a direction of music like Traveler and then break the system down and then move into something like Structures and then start working on pieces for Impetus or move into Dreamtime. But um, just, you know, by the nature of having just th that cluster of a smaller cluster of equipment, you know, now 35 years later or it's whatever. It's a bigger cluster. Uh, you know, it's a big, it's, it's uh, you know, that's one thing that's, uh, you know, for sure is that uh, the collection is, is uh you know it's a real 
wonderful addiction to have with the, with the gear. The spiral is all analog, right? That's done on your modular system. Right. It's it's created on the large format analog modular, which if, if to, to what that means, if you're not using or know of that stuff, it's just the the larger format of analog that looks that's the it's basically designed off the Moog style big walls of modules like you would see Tangerine Dream using or Klaus Schultz or Keith Emerson from that era. But um, that's the large format modular and it uses quarter inch, you know, regular larger phone jacks for patching. And um, then the Eurorack is also in that album on a few pieces too. And the Eurorack is the smaller format with the small jacks and, um, you can pack a lot more, you know, a lot more modules into a small place with that. But there's a sound on the large format that's really um, emotional and impactful. And um, and it's just partly because I think the power supply that drives it, there's, it's just, there's, that's large, there's more power, I think, driving the system that just the, when you hear the difference between the, the low end on both, when it's cranking on, on a big PA, it's, it's pretty mind blowing. But it's again, it's hard to travel with, you know. I mean, I'm I'm doing these. I've got I have three concerts in Tucson that are almost sold out at this. Well, the first two nights are sold out, and the third nights go in there. But for that, for Tucson, I can just simply, you know, load up my car and take that kind of cool stuff with me. But flying, that's a whole other story. Things have to be, you know, reconsidered for that. Yeah, especially now. Yeah. Um. Is what? How different is your mindset for composing a piece like Spiral Revelation to one of your more, <coughs> excuse me, one of your more drone zone pieces? Yeah, there's just um, just the, the 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 body as an instrument as a as a tool that that is that is um, that you're tuning into to, to draw this music out the place that it that it takes you to is you know they're they're very different places they're they're connected but they're very you know the, the awareness that the, the sequencer style music um, creates and what it opens up in your consciousness is like to me there's no other music that activates um, your these mental um, psychological sensations and body awareness sensations as in the way that sequencer style music does. And this is like starting back from, you know, the roots of hearing Klaus Schulze and time wind and all that. Those, that's, those are still really essential pieces of music, musical DNA that are alive and, and in me that are really important, you know, as kind of, touchstones that I still am connected to strongly. So that awareness of that style of music, you know, it can happen. It can be created any time of the day or night, but some of those pieces really are like they're, they're created. Like say, if I first get up in the morning, I might move towards that as like a, a morning kind of morning, like a, there's certain ragas or afternoon or evening ragas or something of that nature in Indian music. So, the sequencer pieces are, since they're 
really dialed into body awareness and your focus and that sort of thing. I mean, those pieces really emerge from that. And then it seems like quite often after several hours of working in that realm, um, you know, I'll start to shift into the, where the rhythms start to, where the temp, the BPM start to slow down and get slower and slower to the point to where then you're in that resting place. And that's why you'll hear pieces, um, even within the, the, more immersive non-rhythmic or sequential style albums that still have a pulse in there. And that comes from that segue from, you know, the more kinetic style of music. So, and it's just, again, it's a, it's a place that, you know, I, I just love to inhabit those two extremes and the places in between uh, in terms of pure beatless bass and then using rhythmic forms to segue those two or to hold and develop, you know, the, the space in either direction. And also, if you know, within the sequencer style material, I'll have soundscapes and zones that are completely, if you take away the sequences, they could, they could exist on their own as just a pure atmospheric drift. So those two pieces, those two worlds really have um, emerged uh, out of each other and they can, live together or they can, you know, live apart from each other mm. as well. When do you feel, Steve, that you went um, past your influences, past Tangerine Dream and Klaus Schulze, et cetera? Well, I mean, with... And past, past, may, past may not be the right way to say that, but when you, you know, diverge from, from that, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, so early on with... Quiet music, well, structures from silence, and then quiet music were, you know, somehow very quickly left that that world of those influences that was there, you know, for for from a listener starting in the seventies, and then as a creator, then by the time maybe eight years later, um, you know, but as a creator when I started doing music in 78, I think it was. So, you know, about six years or so of, of exploring and experimenting and, and, and being drawn towards that sound that was expressing the worlds that I was growing up and that I had grown up in, in the desert environments. And, and then beyond that, it's just, there was some sort, there was just this awareness of wanting to slow time down and, put a magnifying glass on these emotions that I spoke about earlier. And so that was already emerging at that time. But uh, even with uh, Traveler, well, now Traveler and Impetus, which were still firmly connected to the Berlin School and the, and the European influences, the very conscious decision to make short shorter pieces in that style of music was a way to was my way of moving separating away from the long form rubicon and phaedra and time wind style of pieces that would be a side long album um of lp for example at that time so at this time at this point i'm really like full circle back into wanting that immersive experience but but with you know these um interweaves of sequence and harmony and um, rhythmic 
forms and but having all that work at a whole other new level for me in in terms of of suspended um for, you know harmonic forms and melodic patterns interworking together just the things that I'm hearing and drawn to now feel like I'm doing like a big return in a certain way to that but taking it further um in in my in this new in these new releases of of the spiral meditation and revelation and skeleton keys and you know there's quite a few albums that are have been migrating in that direction life sequence proof positive core um there's just a, you know a lot of lot of pieces there that also i think get um maybe pushed aside and or not not as recognized as much because of the focus on the atmospheric and deep deep drift ambient uh, work that you know I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So tell me, is the Time Wind cover by Klaus Schulter is that still on your wall somewhere? Well, it's in my. I have a little alcove with my Desert Island well CDs at this point, and. Uh, <laughs> I still, you know, I'm not going to look at the cover on my phone at this point. I'm st- I still have a hard copy of, of Time Win. In fact, I just rebought X and Moon Dawn and Picture Music uh, to have fresh new copies of this one. It, this The newer editions came in these great digipacks that fold out and um, have some extended notes and stuff. So I'm still, you know, keeping my hands on the roots there for inspiration. Yeah. Nice packaging. They blew the mastering on those, I thought. Yeah, that's that's the part. They, yeah. they didn't do anything to update it, you know, because those things were mastered for vinyl, and they could have the sound could have been so much more expanded if they remastered it for CD. Exactly. And today's mastering for CD. Now, that's something right now that I can announce for the first time is that next year is the 30-year anniversary for Dreamtime Return, and um, it's coming wow. out. Uh, it's coming out on on a on vinyl. You know, a double LP, just exactly in the same way that uh, the sequence of pieces. There were two pieces that were missing from the album back then because just of time. And that's the, we just modeled the the, the, the LP release ex- exactly off the original Celestial release. But um, Howard Givens spent a lot of time remastering this. You know, Dreamtime Return for the for the full spectrum high resolution 2018 30 year anniversary edition, and it sounds amazing. I mean, I was completely blown away when I just heard it like two or three days ago. The final final version of it, and it's like a new album. I mean, it's just it's he's he's working with the state of the art current analog um, tools for mastering and. He's just, he's so, went so far down the rabbit hole with it and just continued to go further and further into revealing the, you know, this beautiful sound that, you know, I don't think I, I can't even remember hearing it back then. And um, because of the play, the playback sources and whatnot, but it has a sense of the spatial quality and the depth of field and, and then the, the bass presence that's in just like the breathing chords. And so it's much, just amazing really so that's that's coming soon and then throughout the year we're we'll we're going to celebrate uh, the 30-year anniversary of that album first with the the double 
re, re uh, new version, the 2018 CD remastered uh, high resolution version. Then it's the vinyls coming out about a month later, and then I'm taking two or th- maybe three pieces at this point, and I'm going to reimagine those and re- completely re-record them now with my perception and awareness of those pieces in 2018. And the, the, that that release will be called Looking for Safety. So that that was always one of my, um, you know, favorite long-form zones from that album that continues to be presented live and different versions of it and so so on. But that piece actually, you know, you you were part of that in that when I played, I think at Transonic and in or one of the concerts back there, I can't maybe it was a little bit later than that, but it was actually before the album came out because I was working on that piece uh, for a while before, but I remember playing it in in one of your the radio shows at WXPN like in the morning there was a morning mm-hmm. show it was called the morning fog or something uh, like Star's that Star's End or and it was an it was a AM, yes. it was a morning show actually in the morning like uh, um in daylight hours if you, you remember that hmm sleepy hollow that's what the, it was uh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah so that I remember playing looking for safety on sleepy hollow at, at back you know maybe 87 or something like that so Mm. Uh, but the patch that created that that core of that piece is sitting right here in the Oberheim expander, about two feet from me. The very same. I mean, it's just been uh, sitting there, um, not sitting there, but it's been living in there since that time. And it's it's the you know the sound, and it gets slightly changed and copied and modified and whatnot. So anyway, that that's exciting for me to to touch back on a few of those you know, pieces that were, for me, really pivotal for the long-form work that I'm doing. And then a Circular Ceremony, I've got a new whole kind of new take on that, around that piece. So they'll turn into, it'll turn into a longer-form immersion-style release based on just those maybe at least three, two to three pieces from Dreamtime. So that'll come out later in the year to... um, to, uh, put a shine a different light on on that on and with the new tech you know the new just the new uh view on on that world and then um in 91 i played performed in uh, germany for the very first time and um i presented pretty much about 80 percent of dream time live over there and so i have a really great recording from paderborn Germany oh. that we're going that we're going to finish off at some point in the year with this live and you know Dreamtime live in Germany release. Well, it must be interesting to revisit this stuff because you've kind of left the whole techno tribal thing that you, that Dreamtime was the first uh, you know vision of, and that you really pursued throughout much of the '90s. You've really kind of left that behind. Absolutely, and. Um, like the other, I mean, for a while I left the, the sequencer stuff behind absolutely during that period. You just, we just, you just talked about when I was working with Jorge and we're and really unearthing that whole primordial ambient tribal deal that, um, I'm still really, you know, I love, I've just, I'm going through some actually 
you know, dats that are still, I'm able to get them to play. That's a whole other story. But I have like some pretty amazing uh, loss pieces from that whole decade of the tribal era of unreleased material that I was fine. I've got have bankers boxes full of dats from that period and some amazing stuff in there. Well, you, the got deck, Neko's, you got an Echoes live concert with that. Yes. Absolutely. Did you forget about that? No, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, the uh, living room concert <laughs> with Jorge and Suso. Because we didn't use all of that, you know. I, th- I think um, I think I have I s- the raw, the complete full raw concert. Okay. Uh, Steve, you, you and I are both um, in our 60s, early. <laughs> um, and we both grew up in our 20s on, on this music, on Tangerine Dream and Klaus Schulten, Vangelis and Jean-Michel Jarre, etc. Uh, and now we're at a stage where a lot of those people are going away. And I'm wondering how, how, how you're feeling about that. Well, I, I don't want to go away, man. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, no, no. But how you feel about, you know, that, you know, kind of our heroes, right? Yeah. That they're, they're, they're dying. Right. No, it's, um, it's clear that, uh, we're all on the same road there, you know, and the young guys coming up, as much as you think you're going to live forever, we're, you know, we're not. And so that's the whole piece about time that I am just completely obsessed about is like, what are you doing with the time that you have? What's your best use of time, whether you're 22 or 62, you know? So that just still is the sort of the guiding principle of how I start each day and how I finish each day is like, you know, having that kind of respect for the, the what, what what it is that you're doing with the time that you have and how valuable that is. So, and, uh, and, and have fun, you know, it's not this like um, big heavy sort of cli- the, the clicking of the, the, the ticking of the time clock that's running out kind of deal. You just don't know at any moment, you know, I mean, it could have, anything can take you out, you know, and, and, but yeah, the guys that, um, paved the path i mean they're they're uh you know along with younger and older people it's just um it's happening you know so i mean it's certainly uh it's uh you know i don't even want to think about the the guys that are still around and when, when they go you know but but what's inspiring on the on the other side of that is i um just saw that Rodelius is playing, you know, a big string of concerts and he's like 83 or something years old and, and he's out there doing it, you know, and that's, that's still a lot of years ahead of us. You know, if you've had another 62 to 72 to 82, I mean, that seems like another nice, you know, it's not the third chapter or the second chapter. It's like a fourth chapter, you know, it's another whole other phase that, that I'm looking forward to. And so, the best I can do to prepare for that is just stay healthy and and just, you know, that's essential is health and diet and exercise and that sort of stuff that, you you know, it takes a, a great amount of discipline to maintain that part along with how complex and busy life is every day. But to me, that's a super high priority, you know, mm. with all of that, to, to do the best you can there. And, well, well, speaking of that, as what I'm pretty sure is – you are the only electronic musician to be featured in Sports Illustrated. Right. 
<laughs> for for your competitive uh, biking. Yes. Uh, that you were doing back in what the nineties, I guess. Right. right? Mm-hmm. I, when was the last time you got on a bike? Are you still riding? Oh yeah, I just took the mountain bike in yesterday to to get it tuned up because the season's really coming into bloom now, and <laughs> it's not 120 out, you know. So that uh, that's a big piece, you know. Um, you know the the rotating the church of the rotating mass, you know that the you know is what we would call it when we'd go out and do these long epic rides where you just really get in, you know that to that state through momentum and through, um, you know, just what happens when you're moving on a, you know, on a two wheeled machine like that and making it happen, you know, making, making it happen. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's still really, um, central to my program. So when you're competitive biking, when you're riding those mountains, what's in your head? Is it, is it more, Impetus and spiral revelation and skeleton keys, or or is it you know magnificent void and you know nostalgia for the future? Yeah, all of it. It's all there, and it's all none of those albums would have been what they are without the influence of motion of that kind of experience of what it puts you into. But you know, part of it is so in completely in the moment and, and intense and. You, you know that you're you're really it's a it's a lot of it's a real present moment um experience where those epiphanies can really bloom large afterwards when you're in that endorphin you know dream time that happens when you activate um your body you know your body's natural um chemistry set you know through pushing the edges like that because it's it's not riding around you know um just some little rolling hills i mean it's really you got to show up and it takes you know some pretty intense stuff that you're getting through there and so you got to you have to stay focused you're but at certain points you can really dream and drift and 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 get into those it's all about flow state i mean they there's books many books written on flow state in, in in the athletic um you know, worlds and, or in the creative world. And they're all very, very much like the, inhabit the same place where you just get to this place to where you almost feel like you're, um, it's just in, you know, automatic pilot and things are just moving and flowing and gliding and it's soaring and it's just a fantastic feeling. And I, I get a lot of that you know, crossfades right into creativity in the studio and then, you know, back out when you're, in that, you know, in the desert areas where I ride, where you're just flowing and free and, you know, completely expansive and, and you're engaged with it, you know, directly. And that, that just, that feeds the work immensely. The music, all, every album I've created since, well, I've been riding mountain bikes in particular since before, um, well, since the, you know, the early uh, early eighties. Early eighties. So it's oh yeah, fun. you were doing you. Yeah, I was doing the cross the uh, motorcycles, right? Well, I was in the seventies, and but in the early eighties, mm-hmm. I was already starting to ride mountain bikes in the Santa Monica Mountains. Uh-huh. Um, after you know, around that time, I met you back in the early eighties. So it's it's been you uh-huh. know a big part of it all the way along, and so it will continue to be. Yeah. Given how much music you're producing, are you listening to music at all these days? 
I uh, well, when I drive, I listen to XM Liquid Metal, and <laughs> um, my friends know I'm sort of a you know closet metal guy, you know, at times. So I'm listening to you know Meshuggah and um, just there's this. At this point, there's just so many, you know, very cool bands out there, and I just it's so different and it's so cathartic. It's like, you know, sometimes I need to go out and just get a, a fire hose sized amount of water, you know, like shot at me to blow everything away, you know, to just sort of like purification through um, volume and driving down the freeway. So I'm, I'm that's where I'll listen to a lot of different styles of music, you know, just through. Um, through XM radio or also um, streaming uh, Soma FM. There's a, just a lot of cool stations there that um, I can drop in on and just listen and, and immerse in, in something completely different. But also I really, I'm always still drawn to hearing how they're doing what they're doing. And there's just, you know, some great te recording techniques I can draw from in places that would seem very incongruent, but but it all relates in terms of the artistry that different people are putting into their art form. You know, there's a lot there to pick up from and learn from. Uh, so Steve Roach is a closet metalhead. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, it was great talking to you, man. Yeah, you too, John. And uh, Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What is this, our 30th interview or something? Something. Yeah, it's, 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 it's up there. But it's up there, and we're up there, but we're going to continue to keep doing what we do and uh, just stay, stay healthy and, and happy and focused on it and um, live each day to the fullest. <laughs> We've been talking with Steve Roach today on the Echoes podcast, a special edition and one that was done a bit differently. Uh, this is actually what an Echoes interview is usually like. It's you know anywhere from 30 to 90 minutes of talk, but then... For the radio show and the podcast, it's edited down. You hear about four or five minutes of it, but you're getting uh, pretty much the whole unexpurgated thing here today. Steve Roach's latest album, well, actually not his latest, but his nominated, Grammy-nominated album, The Spiral Revelation. And uh, if you want to find out more about that and uh, get a link to it, you'll find it on our website at echoes.org. I'm John DiLiberto. Thanks for being with me in the Echoes podcast today.